like a babe when it cries for its mother like a child i was helpless all alone and i darkness I had longed I had searched for the light then I creator of all the universe. That's pretty good stuff right there. Amen. Boy. Well, let's take our Bibles, turn over the book of 2 Samuel tonight. 2 Samuel, this is our last service of 2015. That's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to even imagine. I can't even wrap my mind around it to some degree. But I guess come Friday, I'll have to because it'll be 2016. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 1. Now let me set the stage real quickly. After the death of Saul, Ishbosheth, his son, began to reign over Israel. A lot of times when we look at uh, Israel, we think about the fact that Saul died, then David took over. But the reality is, is that <clears throat> there were a number of tribes 
that Ishbosheth uh, was reigning over. And then in Hebron, that they were somewhat partial to David. They liked David above Ishbosheth and the house of Saul. And so as a result, he became their king. So Israel, in a sense, is split for a short period of time. And for seven years, David reigns over Hebron, while Ishbosheth reigns over Israel. Now, two particular men, um, important men actually, in Ishbosheth's uh, cabinet, if you will, Rechab and Benah, his bro- the two of them are brothers, and they conspire to kill Ishbosheth. And that, that was not uncommon in those days. It was often the case where certain people would kill the king in order to uh, maybe, uh, you know, advance themselves or some other person into that spot. But nonetheless, they kill, they conspire and ultimately kill Ishbosheth, thinking that that particular news would really delight David, make him extremely happy. They, they go to David and they say, guess what we did, David? Guess what we did? We killed Ishbosheth. And David, instead of rewarding them, instead of telling them, great job, fellas, here's a pat on the back, he kills them both. Now, that's where we begin our reading right now. In chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to, uh, came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. Now, we note that David's approached by these particular people now, and he's ultimately anointed king and placed king over all of Israel now. And as we continue to read on in the passage we come to a very interesting verse. And not the passage we read, but as we read down to verse 10, I want you to focus your attention on verse 10 now. We're going to note an interesting passage. The Bible goes on from there to say, And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now, again, David is the king of all Israel. I mean, we understand that he's the most... he, he, He... reigns over the most powerful nation in all the earth at that time. I mean, his fame is extended far into the, I mean, far into the world. As far as you can go, people know the name of David. People recognize the name of David. They know who he is. By the time he dies, David will have become the standard for every other king of Israel. I mean, this is the king. This is the David that we're referring to, we're talking about here. And yet in verse 5, the Bible says, And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. I wonder what attributed to this great success that David had. 
this great status, this great honor? Well, I think we find the answer in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10. I think we get a bird's eye view of what or the kind of characteristics and qualities that we see in David that help us to understand how he became so great. And so I want to note three secrets to David's success that I think we'd be wise to consider ourselves tonight. And so let's have a word of prayer and consider those three thoughts. <clears throat> Father, we come to you. Help us, Lord, tonight. Lord, I need you to fill me with your spirit. Allow me to be your mouthpiece. Father, be with your people tonight. And I know, Lord, there's a number of folks sick and some possibly traveling. And, Lord, a number of things going on. I pray you'd be with them and protect them and watch over them. Lord, uh, obviously we know, Father, that you are the great physician. You can meet needs like no other. And, Father, for us tonight, we ask that, Lord, you'd help our hearts to be in tune with you and focused on thee. May we grow from what we'll hear. May we truly be changed for having heard it. May we not just listen, but may we hear it in the sense that we apply it to our lives. Bless us and help us tonight, Lord. But we can learn if we'll just listen and apply. Father, thank you for your precious word. In Christ's name, amen. So, what are some of these secrets? Three of these secrets that I believe made David great. David went on, the Bible says. David went on. In 2 Samuel 5.10, we see that right off the bat. And David went on. You know, the implication is that he continued. He continued. You see, nothing came easy to David. Nothing came easy to him. I mean, because of the, his immediate success with Goliath, because there in the Valley of Elah, only moments later, the head rolled off of Goliath, and there he held it up. And I mean, everybody gets the idea that David just kind of, if you're not careful, you feel almost like David went from, you know, holding a head up to ultimately being the head of all Israel. That's not how it went, though. Nothing can be further from the truth. David had to work for everything he got. David had to really put forth some effort. Through, the, through uh, a number of years of experience, hard work, he became a great soldier. He became a tremendous statistician and statesman. Even though he was now the king of all Israel, the Bible says that he went on. You know, he could have chosen to bask in his glory and, and enjoy the, his position. He could have said, you know, this is comfortable, this is nice, I finally arrived. But no, he went on. I mean, he could have said, you know, I've worked extremely hard, I deserve a break, I'm just going to take it easy now. No, he went on. He could have said, you know, this past victory is my last battle. I'm not going to fight any more battles, I'm not going to place myself in harm's way. Uh, he didn't do that, he said says he went on you know you and I must go on I mean you want to be great you want to do something for God you want to literally uh, make a difference in your family your marriage your life the world in which you live then you have to go on I mean in first Corinthians chapter 15 look there if you would please chapter 15 verse 58 first Corinthians 15 58 Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's all stand for just a moment. Let's all stand for just a moment. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All right, take two deep breaths. One more. Open your eyes wide and have a seat. Honestly, I felt like half were sleeping. I just wanted to give you a chance to kind of stretch a little bit and take a few deep breaths and kind of get ready for what's ahead. (laughs) So David went on. And so... The truth is is that you and I must go on. And again, the passage is very clear here. He says to us that, you know, my brother, be steadfast. I'm always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, we've been saved. Join the church. We've started to grow in our Christian life. But you can't put it in neutral. We must go on. I mean, we've taught Sunday school or possibly worked on a bus, sang in the choir, served in the work, but we can't stop now. We must go on. I mean, we read our Bibles through possibly this year. We, we uh, have prayed consistently, possibly memorized Scripture, but we can't quit now. We must go on. I mean, we've gave, given our tithes and our offerings. We've supported faith promise. We've sacrificed for the building fund, but we can't stop giving now. We must go on. We learned the gospel at some point, I trust. We've prepared to share that gospel. We've even led a soul to Christ. But we can't rest while souls are perishing. We must go on. I mean, we found a mate. And we said, I do at the altar. But it doesn't end there. We must go on. I mean, we landed a job and we went to work and we did our best. But we can't stop working now. We must go on. We cared for the children. We raised them. We met their needs. And we we nurtured them. But... We must go on. I mean, there is another generation that needs our insight, our input, and our investment. The Bible says He went on. And if you want to be great and you want to do something, then you must go on. And, you know, I'm sorry, but it it bothers me a little bit. And I'm just going to say it now. I'm just going to get it out of my system. I'm a little fed up with this idea that all we, can, all we can expect of ourselves and all that we can really desire for ourselves is mediocrity. Because if we want anything more than that, then that's just simply pride and arrogant. Prideful and arrogant to want to be great, to want to do something significant in our world, to want to really make an impact in our church or an impact in the family or an impact in our lives or an impact in our, our, our city or an impact in our country. I mean, for some reason, we got the idea that nobody's allowed to have any ambition but the world. That bothers me a little bit. So I want to get that right out there now. Because David was a great man. And David did some great things. And i got to believe that as a young man, when David was out in that field, he had some dreams to do something great for God and to do something great for his people. And may I say, he had an opportunity. And when he did, he took the opportunity. And then when he finally nailed Goliath and put him on the ground and he was dead because of the hand of God and the, and the, the, the willingness of David to be used of his God, then he said, I'm going to keep going on. It's not over yet. I still have much ground to cover. 
David went on. Young men, you want to be great. And you ought to have some desires and some ambition. Quit settling for mediocrity. Quit settling for just what people want to hand you. Just This is all you can expect out of life. I don't want to expect that. I want more out of life than that. I don't want a mediocre wife. And I don't want a mediocre family. And I don't want a mediocre church. I don't want a mediocre Christianity. And I don't want a mediocre ministry. I want a great ministry and a great wife and a great family and great kids. And if you're going to have that, then you have to be willing to go on. You say, well, you're like, you, have, you don't know the Bible, preacher. You need to be content in whatever state you are. Yeah, well, you ought to have a holy dissatisfaction with mediocrity. The Bible says he went on. May God help us to do the same. Number two, I told you it wasn't going to necessarily be long. David grew great. He grew great. That's what the passage says. And David went on and grew great. See, David wasn't born great. David wasn't born great. He grew great. See, leadership is developed. It's not discovered. It's developed. It's not discovered. Oh, I'll, I'll agree that there are some that have maybe more leadership qualities or characteristics or traits maybe from their in their gene pool if you will but the fact is, is that true leadership is not really discovered it is developed it's interesting leonard ravenhill in his book the last days newsletter or the, the in his last days newsletter excuse me tells about a group of tourists who are visiting a particular village and as they walk through uh they, they kind of passed this old man that was sitting beside a fence. And one of the tourists asked in kind of a, kind of a patronizing way, he said, were there any great men born in this village? And the old man replied, nope, only babies. <laughs> no, nope, no great men, only babies born here. And man said, there's only babies born anywhere in this world. The fact is, is that men, women become great. You don't just be born great. You don't just be born a leader. You develop into one. And the Bible says he grew great. Now, one reason David grew great was because he chose to keep growing. Again, he wasn't satisfied with where he was in life. He wasn't satisfied with who he was. Can you, can you imagine when given the opportunity to play the harp for Saul, the king, he says, no, I'm quite content to be on the backside of the desert taking care of a few of my father's sheep. No, he, he understood that was an opportunity. What, an up, what a chance he had to ultimately rub shoulders with the king and some of the great men there in Israel. And boy, he took it and there he ended up. Surrounded himself with greatness. Let me ask you, what steps are you taking to grow great? You know, every great person has taken steps to grow great. And let me share four areas that will help you grow great. And, or we could say, to help you become everything that God would have you to be if it offends you to grow great. If it offends you to grow great, and you think that's prideful, then let's just say, to help you become everything that God would have you to be. Okay, stand up, Cody, would you please? Well, I don't know. Let's get some new people. No. 
What do you think? Say, him, you or him? He said, forget you. Get up there. Take it up with him later. Guy knows karate and stuff, man. I'm telling you, you're in trouble. Stand over there. You better get as far away from him as you possibly can. Go on. Watch him. He dogged you out, man. No, all the way over. Keep going. Right there. There you go. All right, Chase. You better watch it because he's going to be chasing you. Okay, so here's the deal now. Here's two people. Here they are. Come on up here and stand and face the crowd. Okay? Now, there's Cody and there's Chase. Got to use brothers on this one. Now, the distance between where Cody stands and where Chase is standing represents who we are versus where God wants us or God, what God wants us to become in our life. So here's Cody. That's where he is or that's where we are. That represents where we are in life today. But where Chase stands represents where God wants us to be in life or what he wants us to obtain in life. Now, here's the reality of it. It doesn't matter what God wants for you tonight. It does not even matter. Because God could want... indescribable joy and peace and success in the Christian life, in your home, your family, your ministry. I mean, he could have that all. He could want that for you. And that is represented by Chase way over there. But the fact is, is that you have to decide to get there. You have to choose to get there. And then you're going to have to take steps to get there. It's not going to happen because God wants it. It'll happen because you want what God wants. Do you want to know why most people accomplish nothing in their life? Because they don't want to. They don't care. They're content to do nothing. They're content to just scratch out a living. They're content to just go to church. They're content to just do the minimum. That's enough for them. They're content to have a good marriage. Why have a great one? This is good enough. They're content to have a good enough job, a good enough ministry, a good enough life. They don't want the great. They don't want the best God has for them. They just want to get by. But see, David wasn't like that. David grew great. You say, David got lucky. Man, I mean, he fell into it. Did he get lucky? I don't know. Was it luck when he killed the bear and the lion? Well, God did that. Do you think David didn't have any part in that at all? You mean that David was actually running the other way when all of a sudden he accidentally woke up and the lion was dead beside him? No, he chose to stand up against the lion. He chose to stand up against the bear. He chose to ultimately stand up against Goliath. He just had faith to believe that his God was big enough to do it through him and with him. He wanted something more than just taking care of a couple sheep over there on the backside of the desert. 
And he grew great, the Bible says. Even after he became king, he wasn't satisfied. He grew after that, the Bible says. He was already king over all of Israel. He was already the greatest leader in all the world. But he wanted to be great, even more so than he was. And we can go ahead and we can question his motives. We can ask ourselves, well, was it really him or was it for God that he did it? Who cares right now? The point is he wanted something and he wanted God to be glorified. We obviously know that. What about you? You say, I don't have, I don't, I don't want to be great because that, that would make, well, wait a second, you mean God doesn't want to do something great with you? And if you don't have any dreams, then I promise you, you're going nowhere. That's right. You can have a seat, guys. Yes. Go ahead and sit down. He grew great. So what, what, I mean, how did he become everything that God wanted him to be? And how can we become everything God wants us to be? Here they are. Number one, education. Take your Bible, 2 Timothy 2.15. Education. Education. The Bible says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, and workmen needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I guess what I'm going to say is this. Obviously, study is important, whether it's spiritual or whether it's in a practical sense, a secular sense. Study is important. If you want to do something, you want to accomplish something, you want to get somewhere in life, you need to learn something. So guess what? Establish a plan of growth. Establish a growth plan then. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is this. Choose some books you want to read. Identify some books that you want to read this year. I mean, literally, get the name of the book, the author, and go ahead and order it and have it sitting on the shelf. Find a book. And I'm talking about a book that's King James. I'm not talking about authors that use NIV versions and all that stuff. I'm talking about find a book that actually has something in it worth reading. That's not going to lead you to the dark side. How'd you like that reference with everything that's going on right now? Yeah, pretty good, right? I'm up with things. So choose some books you want to read, and, and maybe there's some conferences you want to attend. Now, we have a men's conference, and we have a ladies' advance, and we've got some things around here, singles conferences and youth conference and things like that. Those are all good things you ought to put on your calendar right now. They ought to already be there and part of your growth plan. Get them on there. Maybe there's a different one. Maybe you're going to, you, you think, man, you know what? I've, I've heard a lot of good things. The pastor's talked about going down that sword conference. And man, I like to go to that sword conference down there. And, I, and that sounds pretty good down at Brother Bobby Robertson's church. And I wouldn't mind going down there and spend a few days down there in and, and, and Walkertown, North Carolina, and, and, and growing in Christ. And as long as it doesn't conflict with anything going on in your church, then you're free to go. As long as it doesn't conflict with anything going on in your church, you're free to go. As long as it doesn't conflict with anything in the local church. Because that's really where our devotion ought to be, our local church. Thanks for teaching us, Pastor. We appreciate that. We're going to put some things on the calendar. Maybe there's some studies you want to do. Or is there something you just wish you knew more about? Biblically, maybe? These are something that, that, that you've got a question about something. Why don't you put that on your schedule and say, this is something, a topic I'm going to study out this year. 
Because, see, education is important. You want to grow great, you have to be educated. You have to take time to, to have a growth plan. You have to say, I want to get to that spot, and I can't get there if I don't do something to get there. I need a growth plan. Maybe there's verses that you need to memorize. So place all these things on the calendar. Get a calendar and put down this book right here. I'm going to read this book in the month of January. Or maybe it's going to take me two months, January and February. But I'm going to set the goal. And by this date on the 30th of that month, it's going to be read. And then you just put it there on that calendar and you mark it out. And then you go ahead and put the verses you're going to learn for this week. And the verse you'll learn for that week or this month and that month. And you plug it in on your growth calendar. And you make sure you have a growth plan. I'm going to go to this conference. There it is on the calendar. I'm going to read this book. There it is on the calendar. I'm going to go and do this study. There they are, right there in the corner. And I'm going to have this study done before this date. I'm going to have this study done before that date. And we're putting those things on the calendar. We'll get to some other things in a second, but we see, first of all, education. Number two, experience. Experience. You want to grow great? You, you want to ultimately get where God really wants you to be? And by the way, I'm going to say this. I'm convinced that God wants every one of us to be great for Him. I don't think He wants any one of us to be mediocre. Not one of us. I mean, He wants us to be great. He wants every one of us to be able to lead people to Christ. He wants every one of us to be able to expound that book. He wants every one of us to be able to, to help and encourage and counsel people. He wants every one of us to make an impact in our families and in our, our communities and in our country. He wants every one of us to be the kind of person, the kind of believer, the kind of Christian that exudes faith and that people can follow. i got to believe sometimes, and I'm confident of this, I know God wants more for me than I want for myself. I know that for a fact. It's sad, but it's true. Experience, though. It's another one. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You say, what's that have to do with experience? I'll tell you what it has to do with. Fear is often the greatest deterrent of growth. Fear is the greatest deterrent of growth in your life. And you say, nah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's, It's the greatest deterrent. I can't go to that conference because I would never have the money and I couldn't get off work anyway and what's the point of even trying? What? You're afraid God can't meet your need? You're afraid God can't work that out? I mean, if it's, if it's not... I mean, you got time off, don't you? Yeah. I take time off for VBS and I take time off for this and I take time off for that. Man, why don't you just take your whole family down to a conference like that and let them all be blessed? You know, I, I think one of the greatest things I ever did with my family was take them to conferences like that and make them sit and listen to good preaching. They could just sit and listen to hours of preaching. You know what they came out doing? Not crying, not whining, not begging God to take them home. But saying, thank God, that was some awesome preaching. You say, how old were they? 8, 9, 10, and 11. They was loving it then. I'm telling you, it's not, it is not something... Every young person, every child loves hard preaching. It's the adults that get squeamish in it. Oh, there were times you use some wisdom every once in a while and, you know, you take them out and get an ice cream or something after three hours of preaching. You do something nice. Have some fun as a family. You're having fun in there too. You're amen and together. You're over there looking at each other, laughing when he says something funny and getting fired up together. 
You know, it's a wonderful thing to hear a 10 or 11-year-old scream amen. amen. That's wonderful. We don't think that's obtainable, though. You know why? Because we've decided we'll settle for mediocre. Man, it's rough the end of the year, isn't it? This year-end stuff's terrible. We're afraid of exposing our weaknesses too often. Keeps us from growing. We're afraid of letting others down. If I don't do well, I'll let somebody down. I can't teach a class. I can't help on a bus route. I can't do work in the nursery. I can't help the cleaning. I can't do this because I'll probably fail. And then if I fail, I'll let all these people down. Fear, 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 fear. There's a lot more to that too. That's called pride. But nonetheless, we'll move on from there. Because that would take a little while to explain because people never get that one. How can that be? I don't even get into it. So the only way you'll never fail, though, let me tell you this. The only way you never fail is to... And the only way you're never criticized, by the way, too. The only way you'll never fail and never be criticized is to do nothing and be nothing. You're safe. And you know what? Sadly enough, I believe many Christians have submitted to that. Try new things. Take risks. Place yourself around others who are where you are going. Then be patient and allow time and experience to mold you. It takes time to grow great. Number three, evaluation. You want to grow great? You want to become everything God wants you to be? Education is important. Experience needed. Evaluation, it's got to happen. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? He says examine yourselves. Evaluation. To evaluate yourself, you have to examine. You have to examine. Consistently evaluate your progress. You know you got that growth plan? You got those dates on the calendar? You need to be looking at that calendar on a regular basis and you need to say, okay, how did I do in the month of January? Did I read the book I was supposed to read? Did I memorize the verse I was supposed to memorize? Did I accomplish the study that I started? Did I do this or did I do that? Did I, did I get to that conference? Have I made arrangements for this? I mean, you need to make sure that you're fulfilling that, 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 uh, that process of growth. You need to make sure and evaluate yourself and check yourself. And if you fail, if you falter, then at least you know you are and you can get back on track again. Number four, endurance. Endurance. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Great passage. Thou, you probably know it by heart. Thou therefore endure hardness as what? A good soldier of Jesus Christ. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. That's endurance. Hey, listen, self-discipline is absolutely required. If you're ever going to grow, great for God. You're going to have to, you're going to, have, to have some discipline. The temptation is to kind of come up with all these excuses or justifications why we just can't do this or do that. And basically what we're doing is we're making excuses for being undisciplined 
we don't like to call it that because that reflects poorly on us when we look at ourselves. But the fact is we don't accomplish what we know we should and we don't follow through with what we committed ourselves to because we're just undisciplined. So here's what I want to encourage you. Write out your excuses for not following through, for not memorizing the verses you put on your growth, uh, your growth plan, for not um, you know, getting through your Bible reading like you intended to, not following through with your studies like you intended to, not um, getting to the conferences that you thought you, that you, ex- you, you, you put on your growth plan. All those things that are sitting there that, that are on the schedule, those things that you're failing in, write every excuse you can possibly think of why you're not getting it done. And then go through and find solutions to overcome every one of them. I bet you still watch TV. Sorry. I'd like to say I didn't mean that, but I do, because I know in my own life, I'm sure if I shut that thing off a little bit more, I'd probably get a lot more accomplished. I, I, I bet a number still get on social media. Have plenty of time to find out what's going on. I'm just saying, we have time for what we consider important. Normally, the excuses we use are really lame. They sound real to us, and they sound important to us, and they sound legit to us, but if we would really be honest with ourselves, they're pretty lame. When you've got ladies in our church that can't even half walk, can't hardly get out at all, that have terminal diseases and everything else going on, and yet they fight their way and find their way into God's house, and they sit and weep because they can't be here more, and then we have the audacity to say things like, well, I just can't make it sometimes. It's just tough. Are you kidding me? Come on now, let's get honest. I know we don't like to hear stuff like that, but... And then we'll sit around our Bible reading, our prayer life, our studies. We can get it done if we want to. You've got to exhibit some endurance. I, I think also it's important to note how greatness is defined in God's eyes. Take your Bible, look over in Matthew 20. Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> We're talking about being great for God. We're talking about being great in our, our marriages, our homes, our lives. Here, God defines what greatness really is. He, he puts it down where the rubber meets the road. Makes it very clear to us. <clears throat> and, and when I say sometimes we probably just don't really want to be great, this is going to answer why. This will answer why we really don't want to be great on God's behalf. We wouldn't mind being great in the world's eyes because it doesn't necessarily mean this. See, God's greatness and the world's greatness are two different things. It's defined differently. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. He's talking to his disciples, and of course, everybody wants to be the greatest. Why not? But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. 
and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, greatness in God's eyes is a little bit different than it is in the world's eyes. See, David was a servant of God. That's what made him so great. But let me tell you something. He had to work at becoming the servant God wanted him to be. It cost him something. He had to give himself to education, experience, to evaluation, to endurance. And God grew him. And he grew in greatness because he grew as a servant. He served his God, he served his nation, he served people. And the more he served, the greater he grew. I wonder how great you and I will become. Number three, finally, David had the Lord all over him. How did he become so great? I mean, how did he achieve what he did? How did he arrive where, to the point where God really wanted him to, to become everything that God wants us to be? How do we get there? Well, first, it's important to realize, yeah, you know, without a doubt, we need to just go on. We need to grow great. But also, the fact is, is that more important than anything, we need the Lord all over us. This is the real trick in our world today, really. To grow great and still have the Lord all over you. How do you do that? You know, how's that happen? Because as we noted, the world's view of greatness is much different than what God's is. I mean, the world's view of greatness is wonderful in the sense that I get the Lord over... I have all the money and I rule. I have everybody waiting on me hand and foot. It's awesome. I have all the nice things in the world and, and, and I get anything I really want. Anytime I want. That's how we view greatness. In the world, at least. God says, it's the total opposite. The great one is humble down there. The great one is serving everybody. The great one doesn't put his needs above anybody's. He always puts himself last. And you know, it may appear as though David, boy, he, he had anything he wanted, anytime he wanted. Uh, well, that's not really the case. You know, we can... I. I don't care what's going on in the presidency of the United States right now. I can tell you this much. I don't know that I'd want to be the president of the United States. I don't know that you have much of a real life running a nation. I don't know that you really get everything you really want all the time. I think there are some sacrifices to be made when you're in that office. And I think David was a man who literally served his nation. He served his nation now. I mean, he really wanted to serve his nation. I'm not convinced that every politician wants to, but I know that David, I'm convinced based on the record, what God tells us about David, is he had God's heart and he had God's mind, and he was after a man after God's own heart. He obviously cared and loved the people that God had entrusted to him. David was great in person, in power, in prestige, but he was equally great in God's eyes. 
2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 9. Look there real quickly and we're, we're really, we're done. What it says in 2 Samuel 7, 9. Again, David is king. He's ruler over all the world in that sense. Notice what it says in 2 Samuel 7, 9. He's speaking to David. He says, And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name. Like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. That's something. See, when it's really all said and done, God makes a man, a woman great. But he doesn't do it without them. He does it with them. There is no substitute for God's presence in your life. If there is one thing you need in your life, it's God's hand on your shoulder. It's a number of years ago now, but I had said some things in front of my children about somebody in authority. And they had done something incorrect. They'd done something wrong. My children were devastated. I decided I would approach it and deal with it. And I said some things in my flesh, in front of my teenage children, that I should not have said about authority in our church. And I, after saying it, something smote my heart. I went to bed or went to to bed or separated from them for a while and that night the Lord kept dealing with me and dealing with me and I kept thinking what kind of testimony was that to my children? And I said, Lord, here I am preaching and telling others what the Word of God says and trying to be the man of God I'm supposed to be and here I am sinning against you and against your man. You know, I wrote a letter out. I put some things down on it. I gathered all my children together the next day, and I apologized to my kids. I remember it vividly. Because I remember saying this to my children. I said, the last thing I said to them was this. I pointed out everything that was wrong, and I shouldn't have said this, and this is why I shouldn't have said it, and I shouldn't imply this, and there's... We shouldn't do this anymore. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to do this. And then I said to them this. I said, because when it's all said and done, kids, Dad needs the hand of God on his shoulder. More than anything else in this world, I need the hand of God on my shoulder. And God's hand cannot be on my shoulder when I'm running my mouth, being critical and cynical like that toward leadership in this church. Listen, I don't know... I don't know how that works anywhere else in the world, but what I do know is that in my home and in my family, I believe to this day that made a difference in my children's lives. I do. I believe that with all my heart. I obeyed the Lord. I did what I was supposed to do. I confessed to God. I confessed to my family, and I, I, I did that. And I'm going to tell you something. I did it for one reason, really, when it's all said and done. I mean, I wanted my children to grow up to love God, yes. But man, I had to have the hand of God on my life. I wonder, how important is the hand of God in your life? Is it important enough to cause you to change 
the way you talk, the things you watch, the places you go, the people you hang out with? Is the hand of God on your, your shoulder important enough to affect your daily life? You know, what you think about and just what you do. I'll tell you what, it, it's important. It's without a doubt the most important thing. And David would have never ascended to the heights he did. He would have never gotten where God really wanted him to be if he wouldn't have allowed God the opportunity to put his hand on his shoulder. Purity, humility were the marks of the king. And those are the marks of every believer that wants the hand of God on their shoulder and wants to truly arrive where God wants them to be and obtain greatness. Father, we come to you.